Have you ever heard, have you ever heard the story, um, do you know, or have you ever heard the phrase, do you know what you're doing? Anybody? Are you sure? There we go. We got a couple of hands. Like, uh, for me, this happens all the time. Like, my wife looks at me and says, you sure you know what you're doing? Uh, or maybe it's, oh, kiddos. I'm sorry, y'all. Thanks for waving. I was like, hi. Grace, kids, if you would, be, you are dismissed at this time. My apologies. Everybody needs a redo. We're going to redo it. Group leaders, would you stand? I'm just joking. Just joking. I'm thankful for our Grace Kids workers. Thankful for the kids that are in here this morning still with us. All right, start over. Have you ever heard the phrase, do you know what you're doing? And yes, some of y'all raised your hands. Or maybe you're driving on a road trip and your wife or your husband, I don't know who drives the car, or maybe you're by yourself with a friend and they say, hey, you sure you know where you're going? For us in our family, it's do you know what you're doing? And in particular, I'll tell you, as we moved into our house five years ago, we remodeled our bathroom probably about three years ago. Um, and you got to know just a little bit of my background. My dad was a general contractor, built custom homes. So I've always been around construction, but I was like the cleanup guy, right? Like I, I'm just going to clean up after the jobs or I'm going to do the, the touch-up paint or this and that. Um, I never really did for instance, tape in bed. And so we get to our remodel and the demo is going great. Like I can, you give me a hammer, sledgehammer, we knocked it out in a day, went to bed that night thinking, oh, this is great. Look at this, this is a mess, but it's great. Um, and so then the sheetrock goes up and I can, I can hang with the best of them. I can, I can cut the sheetrock, I know how to put it up, but then it got to something that I wasn't too familiar with. And I'll never forget, um, my wife walked into the bathroom, and I'm like watching YouTube videos of how to do tape in bed. Like, it's an art. I'm, I, maybe, maybe you're good at it as a DIYer. I watched a lot of videos, well, three videos, and then I, I thought, I got this. I can do this. And so, long to short, in this remodel, I'll never forget Cody coming to me, and sh as I'm starting the tape in bed process, she says, are you sure you know what you're doing? Yes, I know what I'm doing, love. I can do this. And she said, well, how? Did you call your dad? And I said, yes, I called my dad. And she said, well, is he going to come up here and help you? And I said, no. I watched some YouTube videos. She turned and she walked out of the bathroom. And that was the last of that. Um, as you fast forward, as you can imagine, we ended up hiring that out. Uh, it didn't go very well. But the whole time, it was stuck in my mind with her asking, are you sure you know what you're doing? I needed to not just know about the tape and bed. Like the videos were helpful, but I needed the actual experience. I needed not just to know what to buy or where to buy it from. Like I knew that. I needed how to take the tape and how to put the mud and the, the knife. Like I needed more experience of that, not just about the, the subject. I needed to know more about the job itself. If I could just put this before us this morning, the greatest need we have today is to know God better. Not just more stuff about him, but to actually know God himself better. Not a deeper knowledge of ourselves, while that is important, and yes, it's helpful and certainly necessary to understand ourselves and how we're wired and all of the personality quirks and all of the tests that you can do. That is important and necessary, but I would venture to say we need to know God better. 100% we need to know our Father in Heaven 
better. And that's at the heart of our text this morning as Paul continues on. We're in Ephesians. If you're joining us for the first time, we're walking verse by verse. Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your Bible open, we see this in the heart of our text. Paul continues on in this song of celebration. It's a 202-word song of celebration. It's a run-on sentence. All my English teachers are, are like, man, this is, there's no commas. What's happening? It's just a run-on sentence. But that's because Paul is just uh, overly excited and joyful with all of the, the things, the blessings of God the Father to us and through the Spirit. And so we pick up in verse 15 through 17, if you would read with me this morning. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Let's pray this morning. Father, would you do what only you can do? Would you enlighten our hearts? Would you wake us up to your good news? Would you wake us up to uh, the hope that we truly have in you this morning? I pray for for my brothers and sisters, Lord, would you stir in our hearts, uh, God, that we would not just know good things about you, not just be able to quote a good scripture when we need to be patient, Lord, that we would actually grow to know you deeper. You've invited us into this grand adventure, Lord, would we know you more by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that you enlighten our hearts, wake us up, as our call to worship literally said, wake us up, wake our souls up to your goodness. Lord, and then for my brothers, my friends here this morning who aren't Christians, God, would you just stir in their hearts uh, this need for you? Would you be real to them? Would you meet them where they're at? And would you awaken their hearts this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So real quick, in this first section, verse 15 through 17, there's two things that I want us to see from this section this morning. And I pray, again, like I just prayed, that this would stir your hearts to worship God and to know him better. The first is this. Paul says, this is why. Now that phrase, this is why, is similar to a a therefore. So if you come to therefore in the text, you got to understand why therefore, what it's there for. And so that means, what's the callback here? What are we talking about? Paul says, this is why, or in light of. It's not only just a therefore, it's in light of this, do this. So again, as I've already kind of said this, we're caught up right here in this 200-word prayer of praise. Paul's recognizing all of the spiritual blessings. If you're just joining us for the first time, our redemption, our adoption, our salvation. They've heard, they've believed, and then last week we saw that they've been sealed. They've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he says now, in light of all that, because of all of this, Paul's moved to do what only Paul knows how to do and what we should do is to pray again. Yet again, Paul prays, and I love that Paul celebrates those blessings, but look at this. He also celebrates them. I heard about your faith. So yes, all of the blessings that the Lord has provided us, but now look what he does. He he shifts, and he says, I heard about your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for all the saints. Paul celebrates their practical faith here. 
If you think back to verse 1, when we started a few weeks ago, Paul says, to the faithful saints. Like these folks were shaped, they were living their lives shaped by the gospel. Their everyday rhythms, carpenters, businessmen, women, uh, stay-at-home moms, all of the people that he's writing to in the church, he's saying to the faithful saints. They've been shaped by the gospel in everyday rhythms. He says, I've heard about your redemption. I've heard and I celebrate your salvation in the Lord. Praise God for that. But I've also heard about your love for the saints, for one another. I've seen and I've heard about the love of Jesus and how it continues to overflow in your lives, the love for all the saints. Church, the Ephesians understood their need for the gospel, their need to know God better. They understood that. They needed to know God better. And as they grew to know more of him, more of Jesus, their love for Jesus grew. And hear me on this. So did their love for one another. So, to just kind of sum that up, true faith will express itself in joy. Paul's writing joyful. He's writing to them in a joyful heart. So true faith will express itself in joy, in worship of Jesus, and then in love for others. What if that was the anthem for Grace Church Alito? What if that was the anthem? Imagine Paul writing a letter to our church that years from now, as a planted, established church, would the anthem be, I'm writing to just honor the heck out of you because you've loved Jesus. You're joyful, joy-filled people. And because it's evident in how that love for Jesus overflows and how you love your community, how you love the ones around you. What if that was the anthem for our church? known for having a faith so deeply rooted in in the gospel. The greatest need we have today, you hear this over and over, is that we need to know God better. And as we know him better, we can love others better. Now, one more thing on this. That was the first. One more thing on this. I think we can learn a very practical uh, step here, if you will, and that's Paul's prayer. So tra- track with me on this. It's interesting to me that Paul, uh, if you don't know much about this letter, he's writing from prison, so he's shackled in chains, no freedom offered to Paul except through Christ, and he knows that, and he's boasting in that, but he is shackled in chains, and yet his heart is stirred not only to worship in, uh, God in adoration and love for him, but in adoration and love towards others. You see, Paul loved this church, his brothers and sisters. He desires nothing more than God's rich blessings to be poured out continually on their lives. That's what he's praying here. He cannot help himself. He never stops giving praise, giving thanks for them. You see, Paul is cultivating a culture of honoring one another. In prayer, he's honoring other people. And this isn't new for him. Early in his writing in Romans, Romans 12, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. So what does that look like for us? What does that look like in your prayers, but also just in your community groups on a Sunday morning? What does it look like to show honor? They loved one another. They cared. They honored. Paul's honoring them. What does that look like for us? I sat with a couple guys, I guess it was this, this week around a campfire, and uh, we brought up this culture of honoring. 
and all, all of us, I think there was four or five of us, um, talked about how, how hard that is. Like it's, we are such a sarcastic people. Like the first go-to for Cody and I, uh, when we first, really our first eight of 15 years of marriage, which is why it was so rough, were just like sarcasm, sarcasm, sarcasm. And while it seems funny, think about in your families or in your relationships and friendships, man, what if we changed that and as Christians we were known for actually honoring one another? We talked that night and, and the word that came up was, it's awkward. Well, why is it so awkward? Why is it awkward to honor? Because we live in a culture that just constantly pushes and shoves people down with our words, with our actions, your kids. I'm telling you, our kids are going to school and all they hear is put down after put down. They're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. You're not fast enough. You'll never win this race. That's all they hear. What if our families turned that around and all they heard was honor towards them? Hey, I honor my children. Thank you so much for serving. Ellie, thanks for staying home and watching the kids so, so we could go to Sonic and, and your mom and I could just, just breathe for 20 minutes. Thank you for doing that. I honor you for your acts of service. I honor you, Sean, for how you're growing in the word. I honor you for that text message you sent and, and, and hearing from the Holy Spirit, convicted by the Holy Spirit. I honor and see that character growing. Casey, I honor, I honor you for entering into tough conversations over the last few weeks and for wrestling with your own um, sin and, and shame and, and suffering, but allowing us to step in. I honor you for entering into that. I honor John for playing this morning, the first time in, in our church. I honor you for stepping into something that you do so well and yet have just kind of been, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, I honor you for, the, for your character of saying, hey, I want to serve Jesus, Cassidy, I honor you for how you, you show up faithfully. Your husband does so much for our church, and you, you are never drug along. You show up, and you faithfully serve the Lord. James, I honor you for inviting your neighbor to come help you set up two weeks ago. Dude's never been to our church, and you said, hey, why don't you come help me set up? That's huge. I honor you for doing that. What if our church and our families had a culture of honoring instead of constantly cutting down. Man, like that's refreshing. I didn't write any of that down. I, 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 only thing I wrote was, look and pepper throughout, spirit lead me. Like those are true things that I feel like the spirit in the moment has put on my heart because y'all are serving faithfully and you're growing in your faith. What if that was our culture? True faith will express itself in joy, in worship of Jesus, and in love of others. Church, we need help with this, which is why the greatest need we have today is to know God better. Let's pick up in verse 17 as he continues on. He says, I pray that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul now prays the gospel deeper into their hearts of, of the Ephesian believers. He's wanting a deeper understanding. Everything that he asks God for is geared towards them, towards the believers. Not towards himself. It's that outward focus. That's why honoring's hard. We focus on ourselves. It's that outward focus. It's geared towards other believers, getting to know the Father and the Son better and better. 
That's what he's praying for, that they, as Christians, would know the Father and the Son more better. Is that the right way to say it? More better? Better and better. I like more better. It's wrong, but I like it. This isn't just Paul's request either. It's one Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 3. Christ is defining eternal life not in terms of of a quantity, right? Like, eternal life is great. The quantity is that we are living forever. But the quality is this. In John 17, is, is about knowing God. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what does that mean? How do we know God better? Well, a better knowledge of Christ actually involves more than just knowing facts about him. Like, I love my brother-in-law. He is a huge Texas Rangers fan. I'm the bandwagon fan that in 2011 jumped on. I grew up a Red Sox fan, and then I was like, I'm from Texas. They're winning. Let's do this. And then they just disappoint every year. But nonetheless, he's a huge Rangers fan, and he knows stats, and he knows, um, in particular, Adrian Beltre. And so, like, when we're talking about baseball, he calls him Adrian. I'm like... You don't know him, but he knows every stat. He knows everything about it, and I just was thinking through this. Like, if Josh, my brother-in-law, was to see Adrian, first name basis, I guess, if he was to see Adrian out in public, Josh is the type of guy that would feel like he knows him, and he would go up to him and say, Adrian, what's up? And I, I know Adrian Beltre, I don't know him. I know enough about him to think he's going to turn and walk the other way. Josh, in his mind, thinks he knows him, knows about where he grew up, knows about all of the baseball, his stats. He feels like he knows him, but Adrian Beltre does not know him. To truly know another, there must be mutual knowledge and mutual exchange. Paul uses this language in Galatians 4. He says, but now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, you know God, or rather you've become known by God. He also uses the language in 1 Corinthians 8, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. And to kind of unpack this a little bit further, J.I. Packer, uh, we have these books, man, I'd love to, to give them out to, to us. It's, uh, he wrote a book called Knowing God. Beautiful text. He kind of sums this up and he says, you can sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Simply put, Knowing things about God does not mean that you know him or that he knows you. Knowing the person God is the question that you have to ask. Do you know the Father and does the Father know you? I can't answer those questions for you. There's, there, I can't sit here. I hope you know the Father. I hope you know in his richness and goodness and grace and mercy. I hope you've experienced that. You've tasted and seen. But I, I can't answer that for you. Nor can I answer, does he know you? But the Ephesians, who Paul's writing to, to put things in context, they knew him. They were united with him. 
Paul sees the evidence in their lives. And I love this. He still prayed that they would know him better, that they would know him deeper, that they would know him in all of his fullness. He says, I pray that the glorious Father, that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Packer goes on in that book and he says, those who know God have four characteristics. They have a great energy for God. They have great thoughts of God. They have great boldness for God. And they have great contentment in God. Like this, this is what I want for grace, church, Alito. May the glorious, as Paul says, may the glorious Father give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That's what I want for you as a Christian. I don't want us walking around with our heads held low and just like, man, what are we doing in life? And, and so depressed and this and that. Like, yes, those are real things, real-time feelings. I get life is not always hunky-dory and you just move on and you just shove things under the rug. I get that. But may the Spirit of God lift your eyes to see all of him and to know him and to love him and adore him. Why? Because he does that for you. He loves you, pursues you, and adores you. And with that, Paul continues to do what he does so well. Just like this prayer of praise, he knows again that the greatest need we all have is to know God more, and he just keeps unpacking this beautiful truth. Truth after truth. As he closes out the section, hear this. To know God more means we know the blessings of the gospel better. If you're like, man, Matt, I hear you, I'm getting you, I understand this, but what actually does it mean, boots on the ground? What am I supposed to do on Tuesday? Well, to know God more means you know the spiritual blessings of the gospel better. Paul says in 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of the calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. Paul presses in here, as he always does. He presses in, and his prayers now are just packed full of adjective after adjective, and they all describe the blessings of the gospel. And in praying that, he asks that their needs, that their hearts would be enlightened. Like, you're going to hear me say this over and over again, if not weekly, we never graduate from this good news. Like, you never move on from the gospel. You don't need a better truth because there's no such thing. It's not just that we know about him, it's that you know all of him. So the question for us is how do we take our knowledge about God and we turn it into knowledge of him? I'm going to rely on J.I. Packer again. He says that the way we do this is simple but yet demanding. We turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. We turn each of these truths that we learn about God into the matter for meditation before God. You sit on it. You think. You ponder. What does it mean that God loves me? What does it mean that he's redeemed me? What does it mean that he's adopted me? The reason we sing songs like 10,000 Reasons is you, you, you will never exhaust your praise to God. You're never going to run out of things to thank him for. That's what Packer is saying here. 
the meditation before God leading to prayer and to praise of God. And that's what Paul continues, that our spiritual eyes, he says our spiritual eyes would be open to the truths that surround us, that God would reveal himself in more profound ways, or specifically, hope, riches, and power. What are the three things? The first is hope. I'm going to walk through these real quick. We've already seen so far that our hope is anchored in our election. That was verse 4 and 5. That before the foundations of the earth, he predestined us to be adopted. So our hope's anchored in our election. But our hope is also sealed by the Spirit. We saw that last week. It's our Spirit is our down payment for what is to come. This isn't new for Paul, for his life and ministry is preaching the hope found in Christ. He's praying that they, Christians, take hold of this ginormous, beautiful truth, the hope in Christ. Church, the hope is what breathes life into your lungs this morning. It's what Paul addresses in chapter 4 that you'll see in a few months. Uh, One body, one spirit, and one hope. United in Christ and united to one another. He knows that this, Paul knows that this is the good news that their anxious souls need to hear, especially in the culture that they find themselves in. Practicing cults, they're, they're, they're putting their hope in something that keeps changing every week. It's something new, and they were, they were told in culture to put their hope in this God or in this mystic or in this ritual. And Paul's saying, no, anchor in this, that your hope is in Jesus. You can bank on Jesus in every area of your life. Great comfort and joy can be found in him even in the midst of all of your difficulties. All the injustices of the world, all of your trials, present and future, you can bank on him. We just sang all of his promises are yes and amen. So what do you do with that? You meditate on that truth and then may it stir in your heart to prayer and praise to God. Next thing, so that's the hope. The next thing Paul points us to, sorry y'all. Next thing that Paul points us to is what is, you can see right there, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So you have hope. The next gospel truth is that we know the wealth of his inheritance. Now this is, this is huge. This is one of those ginormous, beautiful truths that I don't want us to miss. I've been praying all week for you. That, that we, as a body, would, would be awakened to this truth this morning. And here's what I mean. Just like last week, we saw that, yes, God guarantees all his children a glorious inheritance. Like, yes, streets of gold and all, you know, all the, the eternity for and with him. Nothing can take that away. That is worthy to be just, thank you, Lord, for that. But what Paul's more stirred here is what he is asking God to do. And this is that, that we have our hearts enlightened to the truth that God made us his inheritance. Listen to that, that shift there. Not only can we praise him for our inheritance to come with eternity and all the, the things of just being, being reunited with brothers and sisters from all generations and, and all tribes and tongues, like, yes, how glorious that is. But hear this, God made us his inheritance, Your father loves you. Your father treasures you. Your father delights in you that he made you his inheritance. I don't know who needs to hear this, but you are valuable to God the Father. 
You're valuable. He loves you. He cherishes you. Just think about all of our kids and just, just looking about how moms and dads just holding their precious children right now. You love your, your children. The Father delights in you and cherishes you and loves you and holds you when you need to be held and then lets you go when you, he knows that you need to go and gives you the spirit to correct. You are a glorious inheritance to him. And that's what Paul is, is wanting their eyes awakened to. Just as an earthly king delights in money and wealth, your father delights in you as his wealth and honor. Kent Hughes says it a little better than I do. He says, think of it. He owns all the heavens and the numberless worlds. I want you to hear me, kids. If you're in here this morning, look up here. This is a beautiful truth for all of us. He says, think of this. He, God, owns all of the heavens, all of the numberless worlds. Kids, any telescopes? Y'all like to look up at the moon or just binoculars or just look up and see Nick's raising his hand. You're a kid. We're all kids. Uh, like to just look up at the vastness, the bigness of how awesome God is. He says he owns all of the heavens. He owns all of the numberless, numberless worlds, the ones we can't even see. And yet, children, hear this. You are his treasures. The redeemed Christians are worth more than the universe to the creator. And then he closes and he says, we ought to be delirious with this truth. Meaning, children, adults, we should never stop praising that not only has he given us our inheritance, that he has made us his. That's unimaginable to me sometimes. I can't fathom that. Why? In all of my sin and wretchedness, God loves me, values me, and treasures me and delights in me. And then lastly, Paul, Paul says that we would come to know more of his powerful power. Yes, that's the word power twice, but that's, that's literally what he says. He says this, and what is the immeasurable greatness? So you have hope, you have the wealth. Now he says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? So may we know deeper and deeper that God is that his powerful work is at work in us. The Holy Spirit, we've, we talked about this early on as a church, one of three. God is Trinitarian. He is, he is one God, three persons. And the Holy Spirit that person is at work right now in this moment, at this time in history, just like he was as Paul was writing this. One of the three persons of our beautiful God, he's at work in your life at this very moment. The Spirit powerfully draws you into a deeper knowledge of him. You can't um, manufacture that. The Holy Spirit is what empowers you as a Christian. It's what stirs your hearts to the affections of Jesus. He, the Holy Spirit, anchors us in our hope in God. He, the Holy Spirit, is who enlightens our heart to the beauty that we are the, actually the Father's inheritance. And He, the Holy Spirit, works powerfully in and through us. 
One author says, the better we understand the gospel, the more we rest in the relief that God doesn't try to do things, as though failure is an option for our God. He isn't our co-pilot. God is the whole plane, he's the sky, the universe, and he is the destination. Meaning, church, you can rest in his power in you, and he works for you, but he also wants and desires to work through you. Like, that's the, that's the beautiful adventure of being a Christian. Saves you from something, yes. The eternal damnation of hell, of loneliness, of darkness. Yes, he saves you from that. But he also saves you to something. To his mission. To what he's doing all across the world. You're not just saved from hell. You are saved to something, his mission. And he's gifted each of you with spiritual gifts. And I already know uh, because I've, I've talked to some of y'all, you're like, man, I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing for the kingdom. I, I want to serve the Lord. I just don't know my giftings. Um, like, I, I hear that, but if I could just encourage you, probably what you enjoy doing might be your gifting. Like, if you enjoy administration, I don't know how, but you might enjoy Excel sheets, and you might love that, and you just... Uh, nerd out on that and you're like man I love looking at this and and making sure that hey guess what there's a place for you in God's kingdom like we need administrators you're not a nerd you're an administrator that God has says I've given you this gift use it for the kingdom for the glory to be very clear I love Excel I love it Uh, I'm on it all the time working on our budgets but um, and I do nerd out I'm talking to myself Uh, but maybe you you love serving behind the scenes Hey, there's a place for you. Set up and tear down team, serving faithfully, handing out. Maybe you're, you're an extrovert and you're a connector. We need connectors. Maybe you're just like, man, I just don't really like to serve. Then that's another conversation. What is it that you're delighting in? Why do you not like to serve? What is it? Are you scared? Are you anxious? Do you not think that God really wants to use you? Maybe that makes you mad. Maybe you're, you're, you're just, why? Why would he want to? He doesn't know my past. Maybe you don't think you're good enough or know enough. He has gifted you, brother and sister. He's gifted you. Use those gifts to further his mission. You have access, is what Paul is saying here. The whole point of the gifts thing is that you have access to the power, the same power that rose Christ from the grave. You have access to that. Not for your benefit to hoard and to say, oh, yes, I know all of this stuff about Jesus, but to know him more so that why? Other people can experience those gifts. Other people can be invited to the table with Jesus. Other people can see how you serve and give sacrificially. They can see that, man, just as you're doing that, I can see how the Father has laid down his life through the Son. We experience God's love in deeper ways. My favorite passage is Philippians 3.10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. To sum all of this up, the greatest desire and need for all of us is to know him more, to know him deeper. Why? So that we can make him known. Know him more so that you can make him known. Let's pray. Lord, would you stir in our hearts, continue to do this work as a I love that your word is, is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's speaking and ministering to us just as much as it did to the Ephesians thousands of years ago. So Lord, I, I pray for more of your stirring. I pray that we as a, as a church, God, that as we go into a time of response, that we would, we would just slow down enough
How are you using us? What do you do, desire um, to do in this church body, in these brothers and sisters? But I think even more than that this morning, I don't want to focus on duty. I don't want to focus on mission. I want to focus on that you actually delight in us. I mean, that, that's what Paul is driving home here over and over again, that we would know the, the richness, the greatness, our, our hearts would be enlightened by your Holy Spirit to know that, that we're not just guaranteed an inheritance, but we are your inheritance. What other God loves creation like you? What other God lays down his life for his creation than you? When all other gods say, do more, give more, earn more, you said, I made the way. You came to us. You sent your son, Jesus. God, you sent your son, Jesus, to us, and you made the way. And you didn't stop there. As he hung on the tree all of our sin on his shoulders, sin of past, of present, of future, the weight of all of that, the entire world, the darkness, the weight, the shame, the guilt, the addictions on his shoulders as he hung on a tree and as he bled out as a perfect sacrifice, only he could do. And then as they laid him in the grave, the thoughts and the wonders and the questions of, of your disciples, maybe the fear, maybe the doubt, maybe the skepticism, it was all answered three days later. The grave was empty. Death, where is your sting? Jesus conquered death and you still didn't stop there. You gave us your, your perfect counselor, your Holy Spirit. You've called us in to relationship with you. You've promised an inheritance and you still didn't stop there. You told us through Paul and the power of the Holy Spirit that we are your inheritance. What a story. Would that stir our hearts this morning? More than the duty, more than the mission, I pray that an overflowing of your love in our hearts would, would open up opportunities for that. Help us, Lord, as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.